as was said earlier, my name is Dave Crandall. My wife and I moved to uh, this area about five months ago to start a PCA ministry uh, here in town. Um, I guess, in a sense, that makes me a little sister of yours, but that's creepy, so we won't necessarily go there. Um, but I've enjoyed getting to know Jamie. Uh, he's been a, a great encouragement to me, and uh, we meet and pray for you guys uh, on a monthly basis, so it's good to put faces to, uh, to prayers. Um, I've been asked to bring you a message uh, from the Lord based on John 14, so keep your Bibles open. We know that Jesus is in the upper room with his uh, disciples. Um, this is the day before uh, Passover, and or this is the day before Friday of Passover, and, and Jesus knows that he is going to be this lamb uh, that's going to be sacrificed for his people. And with troubled emotions, Jesus explains that he will be leaving, uh, that he will be betrayed, uh, that he will be killed. And obviously the disciples are bothered by this, as you would imagine. Um, the disciples are confused and distressed by Jesus' news. What's interesting in this passage is that you realize that none of the, even though Jesus is obviously visibly distressed, nobody seeks to minister to him. Um, in, in fact, another situation while in the midst of Jesus' human sorrow and, and difficulty, he still has to minister to his disciples. And um, interestingly, he, he basically extends comfort, he extends uh, grace, he extends relief to his disciples using really just one word. And that one word that we're going to unpack today is the word believe. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Before we dive in, let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, we come acknowledging that you are the author and the perfecter of faith. Help us this morning to understand, to grow in true belief. We believe, but Help us overcome the unbelief that's still present in our minds and our souls. Lord, we know that this can only be done if you, by mercy and grace, come and open our eyes and till up hard hearts and redirect our wills. We thank you that you can. We thank you that you will. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So one of the things I've noticed in the, uh, as, a, as a church planter, and I guess some of you were probably here at the beginning when Redeemer was, uh, was being planted, um, one of the first things is you look around the community and you try to understand what's here and what's the, what are the dynamics and what are the struggles and what are the difficulties in your area. I, I'm sure you already know the distress of living in Northeast Nashville. There's financial stress. Houses are really expensive here right? Um, and it, and it's, it's financially stressful because you got to keep up, right? I mean, there's really no old junker cars on the roads. When you park in, in, in front of uh, Kroger or in front of Target, they're all really fancy. Um, when I was dating this community, my wife asked me, she's like, well, what, what are the people like? What's it like there? And the best way I could summarize it was they're, they're pretty people. They're they're well-put-together people. When they walk, walk in and out of Target, they're pretty people. Um, I'm, I'm a counselor, and I'm a pastor, and I've done this for 30 years, so I know that's a shell. And I know that behind that shell is a lot of pain and a lot of distress. There's time management stress, because not only do you have to work a lot to keep up this lifestyle, but a lot of you have to work 
in town and then you got traffic stress and you've got emotional stress of anxiety and depression and grief, relational stress. There's very limited skills for having real friends. Uh, I meet a lot of very, very lonely people um, in our community. And that plays into marriages and families. There's a lot of guilt and shame and there's worldview stress. It's interesting, as, you get, as this community gets more and more post-Christian, it becomes more and more uh, along the lines of some other worldviews, but all the pieces don't fit together. When you have these other worldviews, it's called in psychology, they call it cognitive dissonance, right? Where it's like you have all these ideas and all these questions, but they don't fit necessarily. And that causes stress. It's like looking at a puzzle and the pieces don't fit. And that, that's what we live with on a day-to-day basis. And so then the question is, well, what is a what does Northeast Nashville need to see from us? And what do they need to see? I think they have already heard the central doctrines of Christianity. I don't know that they need to hear them, but I don't know that they're unfamiliar with the, the basic tenets of Christianity. I think they've seen imperfect followers. They've certainly seen hypocrisy. What they need to see is real faith, real belief in the real lives of real people. Jesus says to us, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Maybe you've joined us today hoping to learn about Christianity or hope to learn about this church. And all I can really say to you this morning is I'm sorry that you you came on my Sunday. (laughs) Like, Come back again when Jamie's here. It'll be a lot better, I promise. Um, But six times in this passage, Jesus uses the word, at least in the first first half of this uh, chapter, Jesus uses the word belief believe. And I think here's the big idea. Here's the one thing that I think God would want you to get out of today. When you go to lunch and somebody asks you, hey, so what was church about? Here's the one thing that you're supposed to answer with. Jesus is calling each of us to grow in our belief. To believe. To grow in our understanding and our practice of true biblical Belief. So here's going to be the outline. If you're a note taker, we're going to talk about the meaning of the term believe. We're going to talk about a meaning of the term. We're going to look at a real practical working definition. What is that? What does belief look like in real life? And then we're going to have a couple illustrations. And then I'll close with some applications. All right, let's dive in. First, the meaning of the term believe. Six times in these first 14 verses, Jesus uses the word believe. What does that mean? You can think of some of the synonyms, right? You can think of some of the biblical synonyms. Sometimes that helps you understand what a word means. Synonyms in the Bible for believe are faith, are trust, right? Um, To have confidence in, that's a great one, right? Believe means to have confidence in. The Westminster Confession uses it as belief to rest, to receive and rest in. So the idea of of believe is to receive and rest in or rest upon these ideas. Now listen, weak understandings of faith are not a new concept. They've been around throughout any time of church history. There have been weak understandings. And I find that when I ask people, even in very mature Christian circles, give me a definition of faith, most people just kind of get a blank look and like, um... Probably a big idea. Like, probably we should have a good definition of faith, right? 
I mean, we're saved by faith. We, we ought to have a good, solid definition of what faith is. Well, the Reformers took care of that for us 500 years ago. The Reformers recognized three essential components to true biblical faith. They used, as they would, three Latin words, notitia, ascensus, and fiducia. I'm not going to ask you to remember those. Um, we're going we're gonna to change those words into facts, conviction, and trust. You want to know what a true biblical historic definition of what faith is, it's facts, it's conviction, and it's trust. All right? Spurgeon said this, the first ingredient of, this, uh, of true faith is facts, having a cognitive component. Spurgeon preached, how shall they believe in him of who they have not heard? I want to be informed of a fact before I can possibly believe it. Faith comes by hearing. We must first hear in order that we may know what it is to be believed. They that know thy name shall put their trust in thee. A measure of knowledge is essential to faith. Right? The good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of grace, uh, is, is the biblical facts that we need in order to believe. Right? You can't believe something if you don't know what that something is. Um, and we need to know that what we're believing in is not believing in our abilities. We're not believing in our record. We're not believing in our religious knowledge. That some of you go to a really good church. That doesn't get you into heaven, right? That's not faith. True biblical faith is on the historical facts of Jesus' substitutionary atonement for us. He lived the perfect life for us so we have his righteousness. He dies the perfect atoning death so we can be forgiven. He rises, he goes to heaven, he sits on the right hand of God, and he sends his Holy Spirit so that life and life abundant can be lived inside the lives of his people. That's the facts. Those are the facts that we have to understand by the way, this is side, this is free. This is why doctrine is so important. You can't, I think we live in a culture where, you know, doctrine's just for those heady people and it's just for those, no, 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 no. Those are the facts that feed your faith. Why is there such weak faith in Christianity today? Because there's weak understanding of the facts and true biblical faith requires facts. But knowledge of biblical facts is not enough. Jesus' brother told us that the demons have that kind of faith. They understand, and they shudder. So, you know, and some of you have had, have, had, had um, professors in college. They understood the facts of Christianity pretty well and tore them up, so they say. So facts aren't enough. There has to be a second component. The second critical element of true faith is conviction. I think this is like you got the facts in your head and then they become truths in your gut, right? It's just this conviction. The old Puritans used to talk about conviction and unction and it was just this, ooh, right? I mean, there's, I don't know how else to describe it. It's that, that gut assurance that these facts are true and they're beautiful and they're important. 
right? I mean, you see a lot of people who will spout Christian facts, but they don't spout them with a sense of wonder and a sense of awe and a sense of, wow, right? I mean, the fact that we could talk about Jesus on the cross and not tear up is a problem. And I'm the worst of it. I mean, I do this for a living, right? This is what I, so it's hard for me to, I know this stuff. I'm taking seminary classes in this stuff. I, I've got books and books and books on this. I could teach a lecture and not be moved emotionally. And that's a sickness. True biblical faith has facts, but those facts are in your gut and they, they drive you and they're important and they're valuable and they're precious. They lead you to awe and to wonder. But biblical faith is not just facts and it's not just awe and wonder. It's actually trusting. It's active obedience in those. It's living in sync with the facts and the convictions. The third essential element is, tr- is, is active f- trust. Facts in the head, convictions in the gut lead us to intentionally conform our words, our emotions, and our lives in, in sync with these truths and convictions. Spurgeon again said, trust is the lifeblood of faith. There is no saving faith without it. The Puritans were accustomed to explain faith by the word recumbency. It meant leaning upon a thing, lean with all of your weight upon Christ. It would be a better illustration still if I said that, um, if I said fall at full length and lie on the rock of ages, cast yourself upon Jesus, trust in him, commit yourself to him. That done, you have exercised faith. Maybe a better way to think about this active faith would be complete surrender. When you reject your ideas, you reject convictions of the world, you reject all that, and you just say, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I hear the facts, I'm believing the facts, and I'm going to live in light of those facts. Now listen, this, you've probably heard this before, and I'll, I'll try to be quick, but realize that this kind of faith is not unique to Christianity. Everybody you know has this kind of faith with those three ingredients. Secular humanists rest in the facts, in their opinion, the facts, that mankind is basically good. And the only thing really holding us back is barriers, and and that's why education is so important. And they are completely committed to education. That's the secular humanist religion. Facts, convictions, and actions. Ardent Democrats believe that poverty and economic disparity is a terrible thing. That's a thought, a fact, it's a gut conviction, and their belief is that if you have more government, you have more policies, you have more um, programs, that it's better. And so they are perfectly faithful with facts, convictions, and actions. Republicans, on the other hand, believe in independence and personal responsibility and freedom. They believe these facts with their guts. I mean, it is, right, it's down in there. And as a result, they have marches and they do things and, right, I mean, they, they live out their, that's faith. 
every person you know has a deep abiding faith. The question is, what's the object? What are the facts and the convictions that drive the act of trust? Jesus is calling you and he's calling me today to believe in him, to trust in him, not just to have abstract faith, because faith, everybody's got faith, but to have a specific kind of faith that is rooted in, that understands the facts, convicted by the facts, and trusts and obeys and surrenders to the facts. What does this look like in real life? That's my second point. There's a practical definition of faith. That's kind of the academic definition. A very practical definition is that with these deep convictions that God is good and he's for you in the gospel, you bring your daily needs to Jesus and you accept his solutions. If you are ministering to somebody, when I'm in counseling and I'm talking to folks, faith looks like bringing your needs to Jesus and accepting his solutions. That's really good, you should write that down. Faith is, is believing the gospel, believing that Jesus opened the door, believing that God's good and he's with us. You bring your needs, you bring your wants, you bring your longings to him, and then you say and do and, and respond according to what he gives you, right? Think about all the, the things Jesus offers us. Are you weary? What does he say? Come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Are you hungry? Come to me, you who are hungry, and I will be the living bread for you. Are you thirsty? Come to me and I'll put living water in your life and in your heart. Right? Are you, are you got questions? Do you lack wisdom? Come to me and I will give you, I'm the great teacher, I will give you truth. Come to me and pray for your daily bread. Today's passage, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. What's he saying? Bring me your trouble. Bring me your stress. Bring me your anxiety. Bring me, now let me be careful. There is a chemical, there is anxiety that's different than, there's capital A anxiety and there's lowercase a anxiety. I think Jesus is talking more about the lowercase right? But we all have the lowercase anxiety. We all have these things that stress us and freak us out. And Jesus says, bring that to me. Believe me. In this passage, what does he say particularly? What are the facts he wants you to believe? I'm God. I'm going to heaven. I'm preparing a place for you. He's teaching them about eschatology. He's teaching them about glorification. He's teaching them good, solid doctrine, but in a crazy practical way. Then you're stressed and you're anxious. Come to me. Believe in me. The practical definition that I think would be helpful for you and those that you're ministering to, what is faith? Believing that Jesus opens the door, believing that Jesus is God and he opens the way for us, we bring our needs to him and we accept the solution that he provides. I think you will find that that is not only biblical, seen throughout the gospels, but really practical 
in real life situations. So we've looked at a, the, the classic definition, we've looked at a more practical definition. Let's look at a couple illustrations. The first one is in verse five. We see Thomas here. Thomas says to the Lord, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? What is Thomas communicating? Thomas is confused. Thomas is, God, I don't understand. Jesus, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what the way is. I don't know what, I don't know what you're talking about. He brings his confusion. He brings in his questions and in his kind of explosive reaction, he's showing his heart and saying, God, I don't, I don't know, Jesus, I don't know what you're talking, what you're telling us to do. What is the way? What is the truth? And Jesus says to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Look at the second illustration in verse 8. Philip. Philip kind of adds on to what... Um, was already said, and he says, Lord, show us the Father. It would be enough for us if you would just show us the Father. What is he actually saying? What is he actually asking? Philip is saying, Jesus, you've told us a lot of things about kingdom. You've taught us a lot about a spiritual world, angels, and going back to heaven. And if we could just see, if you would just show us a glimpse of the spiritual world, Right, if you give us a sign and a wonder, right? if you would just kind of show us, we'll be fine. If you could just show us the Father. What does he want? He wants evidence of God. Anybody been there? Is anybody in the room kind of going, I would like that. <laughs> I would love for, for something like that to happen. To temporarily give us sight. We're spiritually blind. Temporarily give us sight of who God is and what God's like. And what does Jesus say? I have been with you so long. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He's saying, listen, I, I want to address that. That's a great question. He doesn't beat up Philip. He doesn't come up and kind of go, you're stupid. I can't believe you. You're the dumbest disciple I've got. Right, right? He doesn't say that. He says, I'll give you that. I'll give you that very thing that you want. Look at me. You've seen me. I and the Father are one. Believe me that I and the Father, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. What is he saying? I provide you the very thing that you want and need. Bring your needs, bring your questions, bring your concerns, bring your doubts. Listen, church, I don't think you guys do that because I think you're probably in a different league. But, but the last thing Northeast Nashville needs is a bunch of Christians who got it all together, right? Because that doesn't help anybody. Because A, they know it's fake. And B, that doesn't help them come to Jesus. What we need in our community, I live seven minutes from here, so it's like in our community, we need a bunch of Christians who go, I know exactly what my struggles are and what my doubts are and what my fears are and what my anxieties are. And I know what it's like to bring them to Jesus and have him answer them. The only thing that's different between you and the lost pagans 
is that you know how Jesus answers. You're just like them. Their fears, their anxieties, you have them. The question is, do you know what it's like to bring them on a regular basis to Jesus and have him provide you answers and for him to provide you solutions and for you to go, okay, that's enough for me. And I will walk in that. So here's the summary. Here's what we've been looking at. Jesus is calling each one of us to believe, to grow in our understanding and our practice of true biblical faith. We looked at a classic definition with three elements. We looked at a working definition. What does it look like in real life, bringing our needs and accepting his solutions? And then we looked at a couple of illustrations. Let me wrap up with two, um, two applications. Right? Jesus tells us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Um, the good news is, you know, God blesses you with the word. The bad news is you actually have to do something now. Like, you don't get to just hear it and go, wow, that was great, or wow, that guy's not nearly as good as Jamie. Um, and then go to lunch. You still have to do something with it. I think the first thing you have to do, the first application would be to explore the idea of belief and faith more fully. Look, some of you here have a great understanding of faith. Some of you here are just scratching the surface of the topic, but this is true for every single person who's here. Every single person who's here is a rookie at faith. I don't care where you are. You could be walking with Jesus for 35 years. You're like the disciples, we believe, help us in our unbelief, right? You're like the disciples, teach us, help us, <laughs> help us to believe. We all have room for growth in this area. In fact, one of the interesting things about Christianity is the more you know, the more you realize you don't know, <laughs> right? So those who are, who've been walking with Jesus for 35 years probably understand that their faith seems weaker than those who've only been with him for a couple of days because you just, you just, you just see things bigger or more bigly, which is what it is in the Greek, but we won't go there. <laughs> so what? So go look up the verses. Look up all the verses you can find about faith and belief and trust. Think about the woman who's, who was bleeding for those years. Think about the centurion, right? Think about the prodigal son. How does the definitions of faith that I just gave you relate to those stories? Those are great pictures of faith. But what, was, what were the components of, those, of the faith in those stories? You see what I'm saying? I mean, you've got to study. You've got to be masters at faith for your own sake, but also as you want to seek to minister to your neighbors. And we've been praying for the apartments next door. You know, when those people start showing up, when those people start coming... What are you going to tell them? Right? Jamie's job, the staff's job, is to train you for works of ministry so that you can lead people to faith. What are the components of faith? What does faith look like in real life? Meditate on the word and the idea of faith and belief. Again, the doctrine leads to, to belief. Build a better understanding and I would say even have conversations. Like I think a good challenge for you this week would be to go find a mature Christian, someone that you respect, and talk about the sermon with them. 
this wacko came in and was talking to church, and he, he said, I don't know, what do you think about this? And actually process it for yourselves and come up with your own definitions. The second application, first application is just explore this more fully. The second one would actually have faith. Put your faith in Christ alone. Paul taught us that anything done apart from faith is what? Sin. Anything apart from faith is sin. That means all your holy, righteous activity that isn't rooted in biblical faith is evil. Anything that's not of faith is sin. Paul wrote the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. Trusting that God is good and for you, bring your needs to the Lord. Accept his solutions for you. Some of you are weary. Some of you are confused. Some of you are lonely. Right? And Jesus says in all those situations, come to me and I'll give you solutions. I'll give you rest. I'll give you fellowship with the Father and fellowship with my people. Some of you are tempted and fighting temptation. And every time temptation comes racing into your life, you have an option. You can trust that these things that are tempting you are gonna satisfy you and make your life better, or you can turn to Jesus and say, I don't know what to do right now, help me out. And he promises that he will provide a way out. If you're anxious and you're worried, you're stressed, let your hearts not be troubled, but believe in God, believe also in me. I would urge you, whatever level, whatever step of this journey you're on, the next step is a step of faith. It's a step of belief. Good news is that you don't have to take that step alone. Not only do you have a group of people who would help you Jesus, by his spirit, offers to help you. He is the author and the perfecter of faith. He lived and died to give you faith and a living, breathing, reconciled relationship with God. Don't reject that. Accept that. Walk in that. Lord, today we ask that you would um, forgive and cure our unbelief. Help us to have saving biblical faith. Lord, the people in our town desperately need to see and hear what real faith looks like. Use our lives as living illustrations of true biblical faith. Help us to glorify your attributes through our active belief. God, we cannot do this ourselves. We understand that we are weak. We understand that we're flawed. We understand that we're tempted and needy. Spirit, come. Help us to believe. 